Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories. Let me lay the groundwork for this because everybody's like, Steve, you have these incredible gardens here. You've worked in the nursery industry. But one of the categories of plants that I've always just found amazing and it gives us this opportunity to dip our toe and broaden our perspective about plants are plants that I guess we're going to do finger quotes here and call them indoor plants. But my guest this week is Summer Rain Oaks of Homestead, Brooklyn. And Summer, you and I were just talking, we were just having this conversation about how some of the best conversations are before you press the record button. So we stopped ourselves in not making that mistake. But here's what Summer Rain and I were talking about. The stories involved with plants, the people that grow them, the places they're from originally. And one of the things that I've admired about your content that you put out is you don't shy away from talking about the, the botanical taxonomy, the nomenclature of plants. Do you feel similarly to that, that some of that is what makes plants so fascinating and us getting to tell those stories of where plants are from or the people that introduced a cultivated variety is really such a big part of what makes them incredible. Well, I think you touched on a point of um, highlighting stories and, you know, with my, the content that I produce for Plant One On Me or on Homestead Brooklyn, one of the things I think I recognized um, fairly early on, I mean, it's still really a, 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 a juvenile site, if you will. I think we're in a couple of weeks, we're going to be hitting our third year anniversary. But um, I, I think one of the things that I recognized really early on for me was telling a bit more of the, the human stories to hit an emotive chord with people. And oftentimes, in order to be able to do that, it's by, you know, tickling an emotion, if you will. And I think one of the easiest ways to do that is by by highlighting a human story um, in the process. So I uh, it didn't start off that way. I mean, it started off more very one to one, where it was just like here's some plant information, um, and that's largely the the genesis of uh, what my YouTube channel started off as. But about a year into it, I think I, I realized that um, you know people really enjoy kind of the the stories behind it and getting to know uh, plants better, and I that and that's what I hope because I think that when we do that, it really deepens our engagement and our love and our involvement with plants and allows us to move beyond that superficial engagement, if you will. It's one of the criticisms I've had on the nursery horticulture side of it that we led a lot of conversation to consumers and people with practicals and clearly you know it's 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 part of the story of plants but it's such a small part of it how do you find that balance between like what we were just talking about versus the people that you come in contact with who are like oh i kill everything or oh i've got a brown thumb you know there there's almost these tropes that are attached to plants sometimes, and in particular in the indoor world. Do you, you find that maybe the way it's been presented over time to people hasn't made them focus? You know, when, when somebody goes to buy a pair of Yeezys, Summer Rain, nobody goes, man, I hope I don't get these dirty. But with plants, 
some people are already thinking about like the downside of it more than the upside. Mm, well, I think there's a lot to unpack, you know, there in, in that statement. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, folks are, you know, are looking for something deeper. Not everybody and not everybody is going to go through a filter. And I look at like things as a big filter. You know, you're going to get a lot of people who are interested in just kind of like the decor and the look of it. And then you start to filter in and you might get some more people who are engaged a little bit more in the community. And from that perspective, you might get a few more people who are interested in being able to like volunteer at a garden, you know, every week um, or join the community and be more engaged. So I always look at these things as, as filters and there is balance between sharing the practical information and also sharing um, important stories. And I'll give you a really tangible example so that we're not just kind of like, you know, playing in the ether here. But, um, you know, when, when I go to YouTube or if I am going for content, to be perfectly frank, I'm often going to figure something out. And that is where, you know, I put a lot of my content on YouTube because that is a, a place where it exists to put your content. Um, but a lot of people will go there, including myself, in order to be able to get practical tips or advice. So if like I need to figure out how to unclog my sink or something of that nature, then I'm probably going to go to Google or YouTube in order to be able to search that. So the algorithm is as such whereby people are actually searching for the practical tips. Now, your hope is that if you kind of get them on something that maybe they searched for and that came up that was really wonderful, can you hook them into you know, the content in such a way to deepen their um, interest and engagement. And uh, another great example is that one of my favorite films that I did on Plant One On Me is on soil art. And it's a beautiful, short, succinct video that I believe was really eloquently shot of, um, you know, uh, one of the premier soil scientists who also happens to be an artist who paints with soil. And there is an opening line in there that she says that I think really could touch the heartstrings of a lot of folks. And that is this line where she says, I didn't want to tell people that I was an artist because I didn't think that they would take me seriously as a scientist. And that line really resonates with me and I know resonates with a lot of other folks because even if somebody is not an artist or a scientist, they have felt that emotion at some point. But would people actually search for the topic of soil art? Probably not because they might not even know it exists. So therefore, it's a story that will not really surface um, well on any site like a Google or a YouTube because people are not searching for that. They're searching, why are my leaves yellow? Or what plant is this? Or how come my plant is droopy? And so I think that you have to have, as a content provider, you have to have that balance between the practical nature of it. And if people are willing to be kind of like hooked in, then you have some of more of that, um, I would say, deeper engagement there if they choose to seek it out, which I think those folks who are interested and curious and make enough time in their lives for that will actually then seek it out. That's a fantastic point in trying to get people to the 
deeper levels of what plants and gardening and the world around us at large uh, is. You know, recently I had uh, Joey from Crime Pays Botany Doesn't. So it was a it was a really interesting perspective. I felt if you're familiar with his content at all, you know, it's very brash. It's very outside of what people would typically associate with the plant and sort of ecology world at large. But what I really find super optimistic about your work and his work and a lot of the people that I'm seeing at the moment is that we're finding more ways to tell those stories like you just mentioned. And your own personal journey with plants. I know you're a Cornell grad. How'd you get here? I know a little bit. It seemed like you had an interest in the the natural world from maybe an early age, but did people in your own family, were they uh, gardeners uh, into the world of plants? Is it something that you found on your own? How did you get introduced to it? I think a, a lot of that is the byproduct of just where I grew up, which is in northeastern Pennsylvania, which is, if you're familiar or unfamiliar with the area, it's a really beautiful place to grow up. I mean, there's Unfortunately, there's a lot of hydraulic fracturing that's happening right now um, for natural gas. Uh, but in Pennsylvania has a, a long history of extraction and being in the extraction industry and kind of being on the upswing and downswing of, of that um, as it relates to the economy and the, the damage that it causes in the environment. But that being said, um, it's an incredible place to grow up because you are smack dab in kind of beautiful green country. And my the place where I grew up was no exception. Um, we only had about five acres of land, which is a lot considering that I'm in New York City now. Um, but it was just surrounded by farm and field and forest. And for me, that was everything. My parents are both big gardeners. Um, and we had a beautiful little orchard and we had our garden vegetables and fruits uh, every year without fail. So that was really marvelous. And but for me, I was very interested in kind of the wild plants. So the wild plants that were kind of around um, in the area, in the field, in the forests. And I would um, take my like flower press kits and press flowers and bring in found bird feathers and press um, make spore prints from mushrooms that I would collect so I was definitely like that kind of child growing up and um, one of the things that I actually write about in my book how to make a plant love you is absconding with my brother's never used uh, microscope that he got from my uncle it was a very beautiful German made microscope my uncle lived in Germany and married a German woman um, quite a number of years back and uh, my brother ended up getting that present for his birthday and never used it. And so that was like a whole other world for me to be able to see the slides of like plant cells um, and to be able to make my own slides as a young kid was, was really cool because you could see things that you wouldn't be able to necessarily notice with, your, with the naked eye, which I think um, was quite wonderful. And then even though my family didn't really have the means to, to travel very much, my mother had a really beautiful collection of National Geographics that she had been saving since, oh, probably the 1970s. And those were some of the pages that I would go in order to be able to see kind of like what nature was like outside of 
you know, my own five acres of land, which was like really, really marvelous. So I think I knew, I think I was lucky because I knew really early on what I really loved. And I was also very fortunate to not have people around me to talk, talk me out of um, doing what I loved. And, and I say that now because I have met a number of people who are younger than I um, and who have been really attracted to what I've been doing and, um, and have a love for, for plants, but have this reluctant nature to them because of what other people are saying to them, like, oh, you know, you likely won't be able to get a job or, you know, you should be thinking about something else that will be, uh, you know, much better for career path. And I think if I had so much of that in my life being told to me at a young age, I would have um, maybe considered going the other way, um, although I'm a quite bullish person, so I probably would have pushed through it. Um, but for those of us who aren't bullish people, you know, those are things that I think is, is very interesting that like a parent or a mentor or somebody close in your life would, you know, talk you out of, you know, following one's passion. Um, because I think that's what like actually makes people really come to life and that's what makes me come to life. So I feel very fortunate early on that I, I pretty much knew that I wanted to do something in the, in nature and in the natural world. And, um, and, you know, from that point forward, I was, I was really committed, um, even before I was a teenager of like what I wanted to, to study and pursue. Do you, you making that comment and I agree with you because I've heard that as well. How did you go about, and I, you know, this is, we've had this conversation several times on the, the podcast in the last four or five weeks that this balance between art and commerce almost when it comes to plants and the natural world, as you got into it and is yet a little bit older, how have you sort of reconciled that, right? I, I think there's many people and I'll, I'll paint the picture for you. There's many people I know who are in the nursery side of it, that are passionate, passionate collectors of a particular type of plant. I'm sure you've, you've met some of these same people. But the balance for them sometimes has been the commerce side of it. They have these incredible plants that they're just, you know, they have near complete recall on it, just mastery of the topic. But the economy, the business side, the paying the bills side has been a struggle for them. Do you think that's some of where that reluctance comes from in people making those comments? You know, maybe not that they're that acutely aware of people like I'm mentioning, but I think it's been one of the challenges for plants is how do people balance this incredible passion that they might have with it, but still at the same time running it as a business or running it where it's economically viable for them? Well, I think you could say that about so many different industries. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who are in the creative industry. So visual arts, photography, digital painting. And, you know, and that that is an industry also that traditionally people would say, oh, you know, um, you know, not everybody has the, the the business side down pat and they just really want to, you know, focus on the art of it. And there's also this like um, intense guilt that I find that a lot of artists have for actually selling their work um, and I think that needs to be worked out kind of personally um, and and I think that there might be that guilt kind of is very similar to anybody who 
pursues something that they're really passionate about because they're like, you know, should I be um, making uh, funds off of something that I love so much that it doesn't feel like work? I mean, we almost feel like this work that we do has to be drudgery. And I think that I come from a generation, um, you know, where my uh, mother, you know, works like a dog in an intense job that she does not enjoy. And my father is a retired truck driver and he really plugged at it, you know, to put like food on our table and a roof over our heads. And, you know, it come, and I come from that, you know, blue collar, you know, generation of um, not necessarily loving what you do, but doing it for your family or whatever. And I think that is still true to this day on so many levels. But I think that um, it just comes down to understanding that the value that you're bringing to other people and understanding how to value your own work and not um, feeling guilty about that and, and really plugging away to figure out how you can actually make your passion work in this day and age, which you know, I talk about this with my father a lot, like, you know, gone are the days when people are often working a job for like 50 years with their same employer. Um, you know, now it's like a lot more people have moved into the gig economy and are trying to figure, you know, things out. But it really comes to down to like, uh, you know, working on those elements of what you feel guilty or icky about it and finding the balance of what works for you and then taking interest in it and learning those skill sets. And it's like a skill set that you learn just as gardening could be a skill set that is, you know, learned. Um, but, you know, being able to manage your finances well, um, understanding how to save money, uh, you know, just running the day-to-day -day operations of a business. And I understand like that everybody could do that all. So the things that you're not good at um, to rely on other people who might be able to fill those gaps where you can't or that you might be able to learn from them. And I think that's just true for, for anything. I mean, even, you know, I, I edit, you know, the vast majority of all of my own videos on, on YouTube for Plant One On Me. And um, I didn't know how to edit <laughs> first. Like I had to go to a friend and actually also like learn um, that skill set because it was not a skill set that I was born with or that I had necessarily interest at first in being able to do. So with anything, it's it's a balance and um, and you might not want to do it, but it will, will benefit you because it will allow you to do and facilitate you to do the things that you truly love, which in this case would be plants or art or whatever industry that you want to fill in the blank there with. Have you found in, because I've seen some of your work in the past where you have visited some smaller uh, nurseries and, you know, people that are really passionate about the plants. And maybe this is just a me thing, summer rain, but occasionally I have really wanted, uh, recently I went down to South Florida and there's a small nursery down there, uh, Bunjong Orchids, and they specialize in Vandacious Orchids and also uh, Platycerium. And I really enjoy going down there and sharing their story. And it's something that maybe they don't do on their own. Is there a part of you that also not only appreciates clearly, you know, there's content is a byproduct of it, but, you know, helping tell those stories for maybe people that are so as, as many people in the plant world know taking care of plants on large scale in particular as a, you know, a business, a nursery, 
is really tough work. It's very time consuming. Very it's very, time, labor- yep. very very laborious. But you as a content creator, myself as a content creator, do you do you get any sense of satisfaction in in helping them with that part of it? You know, if you can shed some light on these people that are doing something that so few are, and we know how difficult it is, do you get a personal satisfaction or satisfaction in knowing that you're helping share what they're doing? Oh, of course. I mean, I think that, again, this goes back to telling the human story and really using my platform as a way to tell the stories of others. And I feel like I've done that for most of my life. Um, you know, because I've worked in sustainability as it relates to fashion and beauty and food. And a lot of those purveyors are the people who are out there doing a lot of their, um, a lot of like, you know, God's work, if you will, uh, don't get a chance to be able to share their story. And so if, if there's a, a way that, you know, I could popularize that through my own medium and my own craft, um, then that is really remarkable. And I think that's really what happened with um, one of the nurseries that I love, uh, Steve's Leave, Steve's Leaves, which is out in Texas. You know, and he grows somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 different species and cultivars of plants that are primarily for indoor use. Although he does some bedding plants, and they're not always in production. You know, he rotates, you know, 20 or 30 or so in production now and again. Um, and uh, but he keeps all these stock plants and i do want people to appreciate the fact that you know if steve leaves (laughs) if steve leaves the trade uh then you know a lot of those plants are going to fall by the wayside and they'll be out of production out of cultivation unless someone else comes and actually takes the rain and steve's have have been doing it for about 40 years and when i first went down there to film him very few people actually, I think, knew of his operation. And um, and he didn't have any, and he, I think he had 83 Instagram followers. And I sat down with them and I shared with them the importance of actually building up their social media at this day and age. And um, I took, you know, one of his colleagues through the use of social media and then I helped them track the increase in their social media once they started to engage for the course of of the year um, starting from when we actually released the the film footage on youtube to just show how traction can occur um, and how that could result with um, you know the bottom line and the support for what he's doing and that was i mean to this day um, steve and i are just really incredible friends and he just thanks me so much for that. Um, you know, doing a simple unboxing of his plants has yielded a, a, a slew of other people doing unboxings um, who might have never discovered him. And I, and I really first discovered Steve because he, I, I love Peperomia as a genus, and he just has a nice variety of Peperomia, which is a really underdog plant and an underserved plant in the, in the horticultural world. So, um, so that was that was really lovely to do. But I also like to give people a broader perspective. And on the opposite side of that is, you know, some of the really highly automated facilities that I've gone to throughout the Netherlands, where there's like nine people working in a like several tens of thousands of square foot greenhouse, and it's less hands-on, it's less homespun, it's less family-owned and operated. Because I think that 
there is that spectrum of like how plants actually get to us, who grows them, how long it actually takes to grow them, uh, because it's not all glamorous, as you had mentioned earlier. And, um, and I think once we start to know uh, and appreciate that information, it'll start to make us appreciate and respect our plants more as well. Totally agree with you. It's something that we've talked about again in the podcast in the past is just broadening perspective, as you said. And it's, I think, universally on the the gardening side of it, the nursery industry side of it, it has not really been done well over the years. It's been a very commoditized category overall. And low maintenance was a real pitch word for sales versus, hey, you don't have to do some things. But if you do some things, this will be incredible. And I have in talking and having guests on and then course, you know, my own personal conversations with a lot of nursery owners over the last five years, I think we're at a bit of a crossroads where what you just said is so key. The nursery owners themselves, like Steve, as you mentioned, have this incredible opportunity now that social media has democratized content, getting out there to some degree, taking it out of traditional media. They can tell those stories and broaden perspective on plants. And that leads me to this, and it's something I already mentioned. Did you have a moment at the very beginning where you consciously made a decision of, how am I going to present plants? Am I going to go common name? Am I going to go botanical? Did you do it as a conscious choice? Did you have a thought of, wow, do I want to, and I've recently been fond of the phrase, dumb down plants and how maybe it's not a good thing. Did you have that thought of, hey, I'm, I'm going to embrace the botanical on these plants. It's one of the things that allows it to be interesting. Did you have any trepidation about that at all? What was your thought process at that very beginning, just on something simple like that subject? Well, if I just kind of go back to like more of the, um, you know, just the last three years, if we will, because that really was um, the nexus of my, what I didn't expect is like my space in Brooklyn went viral. Um, so for those of your listeners who don't know, my, my space went viral, meaning it was seen by tens of million, millions of people in a very short period of time for the amount of the amount or, and the type of plants that I was growing indoors in a Brooklyn apartment. So um, to just put that into perspective, because I, um, I can't assume to know that people know who I am or, or, or um, why I'm talking about plants right now. So uh, that kind of took me a little bit by surprise, and it took me actually about nine to 10 months to uh, figure out even what to do with the deluge of, uh, of requests that I was getting in what whilst being able to um, do what I was doing previously, which was uh, working on sustainable food systems and getting like local food in more rural areas to urban areas and focusing a bit more on the food system aspect of it, but not directly on plants in my home, which I had been growing for quite some time. And personally for me, I try to refer to my plants by their binomial, binomial nomenclature or their scientific name, largely because like a lot of plants don't have a common name. And I think that 
it was probably just ingrained in me from my <laughs> environmental science days at Cornell and also all my naturalist classes of going outside and being able to identify plants and knowing them by their um, scientific name. So I think when I came out to share videos, my initial re reason why I was sharing videos was just trying to be able to answer people's questions because when you have when you're only one person and you have literally thousands of questions coming at you um, through all means possible, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, direct messages, comments, um, e emails, like you cannot possibly answer all of them. So what I started to do was basically just compile the main questions that were being asked. And that is how Plant One On Me, the YouTube channel started. And that was where Plant One On Me, the name came from, where it was like, plant one on me, plant a question on me, and I will try to answer it. And so it was a way to be able to use a shorthand, if you will, to be able to try to answer as many people's questions as possible. Um, so to not like, you know, make it my full-time job of doing customer service. So when people asked me like how I watered my plants, um, I would say I would refer them to the watering hacks video and episode 16, or if people wanted to know what grow lights I was using, I would say episode 52 to 54. And since then, the channel has really evolved and I've created these tracks or these playlists, if you will, of where people could go. So if they like the field trips or if they like the outbound excursions or the houseplant home tours or um, plant tips or DIY, they could go to those different like series or tracks in order to be able to find those um you know i'm only working with kind of like the tools that i currently have like that youtube gives me in order to be able to you know do that and i wish they had like better stuff but for me um i think it's it's not about dumbing content down or anything it's one i think yeah, i have to be cognizant um of meeting people where they're at uh and that was important for all of the work that i you know have been doing up until this point and not just plants but you can't assume that somebody is as proficient or as knowledgeable as you are on a certain subject um, and meeting people where they're at and, uh, and acknowledging that and being able to address that in a way that doesn't make people feel um, inferior or dumb or anything along those lines that they, that they are learning, I think is really important. And that is a um, there's a tact to that and there's an, um, an empathy and an observational, um, you know, qualities that you need for, I think, that kind of um, stuff. And then, um, and also just being, you know, things that are fulfilling and that are inspiring and, um, and educational for me as well. And I think I share with, uh, I shared with folks quite often that, you know, the stuff that really drives me is not really what I do know, but what I don't know about the, the botanical world and also just the world in general around me. So I will seek out things where I could actually learn. And if I'm able to convey that, you know, in a video form or in a blog post or something like that, then I'm actually taking the viewers on a, that journey with me. So I, I think that's really exciting. But sometimes the stuff that excites me, like the soil art and the soil science of it, will not necessarily excite other people in the same way. So again, it's like that balance that we were talking about early of like meeting people where they're at. Um, but I think people are hungry for this knowledge. And the fact that I, you know, do um, say the scientific names of plants, I think is very, like people want to sop that up. And I think that's just what I'm finding. Um, and I found it just 
because I chose to, to do that from the get-go. And, uh, but that's also because, like I said, sometimes there's no good common names uh, for plants and it's, it's important to, in order to be able to, you know, it's interesting. I think it's interesting, but not everybody else finds it interesting. So, yeah. I find it completely awesome, right? I, I have always thought, I agree with you, that it, it's one of the, the motivators for me. If there's a plant group that I'm weak in, uh, my my trip down to South Florida. People have asked me, "Did you literally just go down to South Florida to learn a lot about Vandacious orchids and Platycerium?" <laughs> the answer would be yes. I completely went down to South Florida and and some Cuban food while I was there. Obviously, yeah, as well. that's great. <laughs> but that's uh, that is the driver. You know, I think I came across your Instagram account. Uh, it's very interesting to me because I think both of us were doing a lot with plants well before. We had any uh, people have always asked me, you know, uh, were you doing this at like a two and a half acre garden size? Uh, I was like, just for fun. That was it. And your story is the same, right? You just you're again, for those people who don't know Homestead, Brooklyn, you had this really impressive indoor plant collection like you had just shared with us well before you even had any thought of trying to create content with it or anything like that, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean the the plants had always been for for me, you know, for my um, you know, I'm a very proactive person. So I, you know, when I moved to the city, I didn't think I was actually going to be in the city for so long as I have been, which is now approaching 15 years, which is quite crazy to think about. Um, but I I think I used you know, I brought plants into my life as a way to help manage the cacophony of the city. I mean, I'm sitting in my house right now and it just is just like so, uh, I just love life around me. And, uh, you know, I even assembled bird feeders on, on my, uh, outside of my window just to kind of like, you know, attract more life. You know, I just want to expand out <laughs> from my four walls and just, um, you know, so life. And, uh, and so for me, I think it's just a way to, I don't know, be just proactively cope in a city that doesn't always provide outlets for you to be able to cope in very well. And, uh, and so, you know, and then I started to bring people into my home to meditate. So I joined a number of meditation circles here, which I think is very therapeutic for, um, uh, I'm not a big meditator myself, but like, I think it was just very therapeutic for for others to just come into my space and use it as a a very um, just uh, just a very quiet and um, full of life space in order to be able to to have those moments um, individually and together and uh, and so I think that it was really nice to be able to start to share that to the the broader community so I think that maybe it was just um uh you know a sign that it would go viral and go out to more people and i feel like now you know with any of that kind of stuff you have this other set of set of responsibilities um, in order to be able to help people in their own lives with their own plants and if they are inspired by your work or your life or the way that you live it then um and then giving them the tools to be able to do that for themselves in their own way, I think is really important. So I think that's like what I've tried to do as opposed to just to focus on, you know, oh, 
wow, look at how cool my place is, um, that kind of thing, which I do, of, of course, a little about that because people really do resonate with that. But yeah, I think that's why like creating the tools for people, like the masterclass, and then, you know, people were asking me as they start to acquire more plants, how I actually figure out like less the watering schedule. I mean, people do ask me that, but for me, I keep a, a spreadsheet of my fertilizing schedule and people really wanted that made available to them because people are like, oh, okay, now I don't have just four house plants or 10 house plants. I have 30 or I have 40 and, um, and it's easier to keep track. And that, that's how I do it. And, um, and people might do it differently, but I you know, started to share that as well for folks who wanted that. And, um, and, I, and again, this goes back down to like, I, I believe I'm adding value to people's lives in that way. So can you charge for that? Um, sure. You know, I think that you've spent the time to be able to take out a lot of that research and the way that I look at it from a more transactional point of view, if we we're to, you know, bring this conversation a little bit more uh, full circle, is that, you know, what do you value? Like, what is your hourly rate? You know, and you just kind of have to think about that for yourself. Like, what would you pay yourself an hour for the work that you do? And how many hours would it actually take you to uh, map out the care of 350 species of plants? And then you, then you begin to like say, okay, well then how much would that cost me in time? And is it just more efficient to be able to purchase this and help support a creator whose content that I love? So those are, I think those are the ways that I think that you go around it um, or that I, you know, I think about these things and, um, and just try to, to make things a little bit more accessible while helping people you know, have that for themselves if that's what they so desire. It was one of the topics that came up with P. Allen Smith, who has clearly been doing gardening content and plant content for a long time. And he had made the comment that, you know, there's, there's so much noise now. Um, you know, there's good and bad to that comment, but there's so much content out there that there are a lot of people who are putting it out there that their their knowledge base he was concerned of if it was deep enough for for the audience and that's something again that i had immediately um when i found your content i just was like okay this is someone who's really invested in this personally um to have that kind of depth of knowledge how do you feel about that right now that you know clearly uh the indoor plant lane in particular has had a lot of people start to generate content. Um, you know, I struggle sometimes with deciphering. Do I think people are creating this content out of a, a genuine place or they just think it's the content of the moment kind of thing? How do you reconcile that? Does that something that you you think about? Do you, do you spend any calories even pondering that topic? Um, I, I don't think about it too much. Um, I think just because I've been in the side of the industry where um, because of the nature of the the type of things that I have done, you know, focusing on sustainability through the lens of like fashion and beauty and food, um, you know, it was a funny thing because I made this comment to one of my my agents who's a really good friend of mine, Faith, and I, I was really in that heyday of the time when environmental media really started to pick up um, in 2007, and I think it was because of like Al Gore's, you know, movie or whatever it might have been. 
but I had been really plugging away on my work in sustainability and fashion for about seven years prior to that. And all of a sudden, people started to pick up on my work in the press because it started to reach a little bit more of the mainstream, mainstream press. And we didn't really have social media during that time. You know, the blogosphere was just starting to take shape in 2005, you know, believe it or not. So, um, so it was kind of an interesting, you know, moment because I said to, to Faith and I said, you know, um, there's a lot of people who have, were moving into the space. And I think in the, in the TV world, they call them hair and teeth models <laughs> that are, they just look good um, and they have like nice teeth and they will do whatever. Um, and that is fine. They will, they're like a hired, somebody hired just, um, just to, you know, fit the, the space with whenever the space calls for them. And, um, and I think the TV, like TV industry was really moving towards like what they were also calling credible insiders. And, uh, and, and I, um, I shared with Faith that uh, when this whole thing blows over, when there is no more emphasis on sustainability or there's something else that kind of like gets focused on, I will still be there because it's what I'm just passionate about and you have to evolve and, and move like Madonna evolves and moves in her career um, in different like forms. And, uh, and I feel very fortunate and very grateful because I, um, you know, you just have to lean into it when people, you know, uh, want something for you and from you. And I think with the, the plants, you know, I, I would have probably focused on plants right out of the gates um, if I could have. But I felt like I had to meet people where they're at um, when it came to talking about the work that I was doing. And that's how I found myself in the world of fashion and, and media. So I think, again, it just goes back to, you know, focusing on good valuable content people watch content for all sorts of reasons people will watch plant content in order to be calmed um, people will watch plant content um, for entertainment um, they're not just all viewing it for education uh, and that's something else that you just have to like you know come to terms with and you have to kind of feel where you fall in that category of, of it. And for me, I feel like I like to fall a little bit more on the educational side with a little bit of um, entertainment in there, of course, as well, because that's the kind of content that I really like. And I think that's the type of content that I think will, um, that fil some people will filter into in order to be able to deepen their engagement and their involvement. So yes, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, I think that the indoor plant market falls into a, a very different category than say, Mm, like permaculture or uh, pure horticulture of growing in greenhouses because a lot of the, the information that's being shared is experiential, it's anecdotal, um, it's not necessarily always based in science, nor could it be because if you really look into, you know, peer-reviewed science journals, yeah, you might be able to find some, you know, articles out there about growing plants indoors, but oftentimes it relates to horticultural therapy, um, you know, because who's going to fund that research? So even when I was, you know, doing my um, houseplant masterclass, you have to really pull from, you know, science-based journals that might say, okay, well, here's, you know, the propagation conditions that they were doing for Diffenbachia in a horticultural, you know, greenhouse setting. 
which of course is not your home setting. So I think houseplants more than more than probably any other industry within plants, although I, I can't be this, say this for certain, you'll get more experiential kind of like anecdotal information out there that's not always like based in um, more meteor science just by the virtue of that, you know, more people are doing it in their own times in their own homes and have like various different conditions. And, um, and I try to say that as a disclaimer, even when I do 365 days of plants, um, which I shoot like very much off the cuff, like off the top of my head with like just a plant in front of me and I share people how I'm growing it. I always like, I always try to share like, hey, um, this is how I'm growing it. Do not take this as gospel. You know, just take this as a guide and share with me how you're actually growing the plant as well, because your conditions are going to be very different from my conditions. And if, if you're growing this in like hot, sunny Arizona, it's going to be very different from growing it in the city in New York in a northeast facing window. Um, so, you know, those are the things that you have to kind of like, I think, manage with. So I don't get like, <laughs> to answer your question, I don't get like so bent out of shape about it. I just really try to focus and concentrate on the stuff that I think is um, will bring people value and that that brings me passion as well. Let's dive in to your 365 days of plants because I've enjoyed nothing more recently, by the way, just as a personal aside. Um, been awesome to see it. Walk me through these things. First off, that, that was a big decision on your part Ugh, to I say, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to take on this from someone Ugh. that produces content. Let me, let me, let me open the curtain up, if you will, folks. Oh my God. For those of yeah. you that don't make content, in particular now, and like a, one of the things that I was just sharing yesterday with uh, my daughter, who's 14, oh, is I nice. said- nice. Nice hey, age. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I, I shared with her, I said, you know, one of the things that's interesting, um, it's great that we have all these platforms to get content out there. However, the IGTV platform has this weird uh, portrait aspect ratio. YouTube has this landscape aspect ratio. We're doing this for that and this for that. And you're feeding all of these different uh, mouths for content almost. So it's that in itself can give you a moment of like, oofa, I got to deal with all that. But then you make this decision. And folks, if, if you haven't already subscribed on YouTube, followed uh, Summer Rain over on Instagram, this 365 Days of Plants was a real undertaking but you have done a really remarkable job in creating it. Just why'd you do it? Just just give us the, the basics. Like, is that just something you've, you've always wanted to do where you were like, hey, I've got 365 plants to talk about people. Let's get to it. Yeah. I mean, I think um, about it, about two years ago, I, I had this idea like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to just highlight one plant a day? Um, especially because if I, I was doing a lot of tours of my house, it was in part of like, you know, every outlet under their sun wanted to come in and do a tour of my house, but they would always put them into like 60 second, two minute, maybe five minute videos if you're lucky. And then most people would be like, wait, wait, what was that plant in the corner? Like lower left, like two feet down from the top. And, and you wouldn't be able to really focus in on any plant. And if I were to um, try to do a tour of my house uh, with all of my plants, it would just be too it would be 20 hours long. I mean, you just wouldn't be able to do it. 
Um, I mean, you could, but I don't think anybody would want to sit through a 20 hour video, nor would I want to edit a 20 hour video. But so uh, the idea was like, oh, great. I will, um, I will start just one plant a day, just grab like a plant that I have growing in my home and just real top level information, nothing too, too deep. It was just more along the lines, like this is the plant's name. Um, and you know, sometimes I get that, that wrong or, um, or it, the name has changed, you know, and, and that in so many ways, because there's so many names that have been changed, um, within the houseplant world. So, uh, or like, this is where it typically grows. This is where I'm growing it in my home. And this is my, my care tips. And so it was just a really, uh, a way to be able to introduce people to a plant, maybe learn about its care tips or to discover a new one. Um, and to understand how I'm growing it in my home. And the plant may be not perfect, like you would get it initially from the garden center, the nursery. And, and I think that's an important part of it too, is to show like, oh, this one's a little leggy, or I didn't stake this, and this is how this looks, or this is pulled away from my southwest window, this is why it's growing in a certain kind of way. And I think that's really engaging because a lot of um, content is like so perfect um, so perfect and the plant is just you know taken from the garden center and you expect it to look that way all the time and it's most likely not going to, to always look that way so I think that was like kind of an important thing to do and but I, I wasn't set up initially workflow wise in order to be able to do it because as you had mentioned and I, as I think you empathize you know creating content is a bear and you, the fact that like ev every venue like youtube or instagram or facebook wants to own their own content and um almost like pushes it upon the creator to have to produce it in different formats um like at a rate like never before and i kind of decided early on that yes i think this would be good for both instagram and youtube and how would i actually set it up that way in order to be able to produce that um, in hindsight i was like oh my god even though my workflow is pretty efficient as is uh it's a tremendous tremendous undertaking and a tremendous amount of work and i even know folks who work at like vice you know down the road who are like just work like dogs producing content or people at BuzzFeed who are the same way. And I just don't know anybody. I've never met anybody who was able to just produce the amount of content that I was able to produce in this last year. And I'm not saying that as a source of pride. I'm saying that as a, a, a source of exasperation because I don't um, want to push that on anybody. It, it was it, it has been a huge undertaking. We're not through with 365 days. So it's not like it was. It is a huge undertaking. And um, and I know some people appreciate it, but some people don't. And that's fine, too. Um, I always, you know, share with people if you don't appreciate it, the content, then just, you know, go somewhere else and go to a content that you can um, appreciate. But but yeah, it's been a lot. And, you know, obviously I just shoot it at one table so I don't have to like move um, you know around the house or anything because that would just um increase time but yeah you have to come up with like the different forms horizontal vertical um exporting editing both um you know making sure the picture looks good and the light and the audio quality is great you know but you get you get hiccups like that all the time <laughs> as we as we start to wrap up here when you're when you were mentioning that it also uh, my friend joe lample um he and i had this conversation um I'm curious because it, it sounds like your background was in a similar lane to, to Joe and myself over the years that did you ever have a moment like with plant went on me where you considered 
television, like a traditional media, finger quotes, traditional media. Has that ever been? I mean, you know, it's interesting now at the age that I'm at that I think there was a moment for a lot of people of a similar age, if you had any inkling of communicating or an interest or a passion that you wanted to share that like the end game was that, you know, the end game was, oh, I'm going to have a television show one day, right? Was that something for you ever? Is it something you've considered even now? Or do you find that, you know, hey, times have changed uh, and maybe the goals are, are far different than they used to be? Well, times have definitely changed. Um, and I uh, was a correspondent on Discovery Networks for three years. So I, um, you know, worked with them when they were doing, you know, their Planet Green initiative, which, you know, inevitably didn't didn't go extremely well for Discovery. So I think they, you know, eventually made it into Discovery ID or something like that. But um, and I have done that. And, um, and that's fine. And that's lovely. But I think the, you know, the botanical content that I produce, um, it's not necessarily, at least the way that the way that I produce it now, it's not necessarily for primetime television. I think people will seek it out maybe on places like Hulu or Netflix or something along those lines, um, or maybe in the back of airplanes or things while they're, you know, flying from one point to another. But in kind of the traditional television market, you kind of have to understand that that traditional television market is very, very risk adverse. And it takes a long time for them to be able to pick up on a trend um, until that trend is like pretty much, you know, morphed and evolved into something else. So I just think you have to kind of go into that with um, with not blinders on and just accepting the beast that it is. And if I were to do something you know, kind of on television, it would probably take on a different form. But I always approach these things, and I actually said this to the uh, the CEO of of Discovery at the time, because uh, I think I think is actually still the CEO of Discovery. I think he left and came back. His name is David, and I remember him sitting in a meeting, and he's like, "How do we make this content sexy like summer?" <laughs> and I was like, um, first of all, you should never say that, and you should never say wow. it because it's like not." cool <laughs> you know once after you say something like that it's just not cool anymore and um and you know of course that's like a different time i don't think nobody would ever say that now however um you know you just you know trying to make something cool is like a weird thing to say in general or make something sexy you know how do you make soil sexy or how do you make this you know it's it's just being genuine and authentic and yourself and um, and bringing that um, out to people and people, most people will appreciate that. There will be some people who don't, but that's, um, but that usual lack of appreciation usually stems from, I think, something much deeper. Um, it could be, you know, um, jealousy. It could be stemming from, um, you know, oh, I want to be doing that. You know, there, there's other things that are probably often in, in play there. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how my view is. I, I, I like to have a little bit more control of the content that I bring out. And even though YouTube is not necessarily the most monetarily rewarding place to be able to put that um, stuff, um, it is the place that we have at this point in order to be able to to do that. Yeah, it was. Uh, this is the, the first time I think I've ever shared this on the podcast. I had an awesome conversation one time when I was doing a, a pilot series for Food Network where they, they said to me, this has too much gardening in it. 
And it was interesting because it was supposed to be a from the garden to the table. And this is mid 2000s, a little bit before that mm. even. And it was just a fascinating conversation, you know, similar to the one that you're sharing with Discovery that it, for, for the people listening, there was always this thing with plants where they were like, can you make it faster? Can you make it sexier? Can you make it thisser? There was always a thisser. Can you make it something more? And I think for those of us that were passionate about it, we were like, do you not see how cool it already is? <laughs> like, like, like we don't need to, we may not need to. And like you said, at that time in particular, they were very, you know, obviously mass market advertiser, ad sales driven. And now to, to answer, you know, to ask you this next question, one of the things I love at the moment, Summer Rain, is I can just do whatever I want. <laughs> you know, and like you said, you know, soil art and sharing that. And maybe not everything's for everyone. Do you do you have a, a certain feeling of uh, liberation now without having, you know, as some of my friends would say, the media overlords um, controlling what content and sort of trying to guide it down some of these roads always? Well, I mean, I think it's all based on your partners. And um, and uh, honestly, like the stuff that I did for Discovery, I mean, some of it I was like, eh, but a lot of the other stuff I, I, I liked. And I think because um, they really took me as a, a partner. And I actually shared with David and the rest of the team that like, I don't want to do content just to be on, like I'm not doing television just to be on television. I'd rather do things that really resonate with me. And at that point, they were like, oh, you know, you should do a show on Sustainable Fashion Project Runway. And I'm like, no, Heidi Klum could actually do that in like one episode. Like, I don't need to, you know, create content that someone else is doing. I want to create something that I could add that is so that is uniquely me that wouldn't necessarily you could find anywhere else. Um, and I think that is your real point, not by, you know, trying to recreate what someone else is doing, but doing something that is, you know, definitively you. Um, so my partners are fine there, um, but I, like I don't have any kind of malice or, you know, kind of looking back or why did I do that kind of thing. It was, a, you know, really cool experience um, and to be able to see everything. What I love is being able to do things um, without like too many people. Um, it's important to have like teams if you're doing like bigger un things that you could undertake. And I recognize like the top end of what I could potentially do with my own YouTube channel before like burning out or doing anything like that. Um, so, and I would welcome those opportunities to have those um, bigger opportunities to do bigger things and to impact more people in a positive manner. But you have to re recognize the restrictions. So I think there's, you know, good and bad with everything. Um, but I do, I, I find it funny because after producing the content for like, you know, for these three years now, and being very prolific in producing content, I realized how quickly um, and how fast I can make decisions and how quickly in general I could put something and edit out and get it out there versus these like really, really long, laborious lead times and having to go to meetings <laughs> and like passing it by like 50 people and um and and understanding that I, it just feels that you feel a little bit more nimble and i i like that i like the nimble aspect of it um although like i'm sure if you if i do it long enough i could probably tire out but it's about keeping that balance i think well it's nice when you don't produce a piece of content enough that this has ever happened to me where you're told you know that guest they the black shirt they had on i didn't like it <laughs> 
So we have to have them on screen just a tad less. Do we have more B-roll or cutaways that we can go to instead of that? So let's wrap up here at the very end, because I think we've done a really good job sort of exploring this topic, hopefully in a deeper way for people. Give me your your indoor plant. Like, what's the most common problems people seem to have? You know, in the in the outdoor gardening world, I get a lot of uh, what I like to refer to as sometimes generality questions that seem to just plague people. Do you have those for you? I'm sure that like there's a, a top you know three list of like these are the things I'm asked about the most consistently. Well, I think um, to just step back, I think one of the things that we just have to recognize is that like soil uh, or plants are in planters in a in a enclosed container, and that is like very different than kind of talking about a plant in say a raised bed or even you know rooted into the ground outside of a raised bed. Um, working with plants in containers is just monumentally challenging for all sorts of different reasons because it's much more easier to overwater your plant or to asphyxiate the roots or to have the potting medium you know get too cracked and the water just go down the sides and then you have these issues where people are like no i'm watering my plant um but you know maybe the the primarily peat-based potting medium um, beads up the water and the water goes all the way down so people are not understanding that the water's not going to the roots. So I think there's like challenges like that that um, you get indoors that you don't typically always get in an outdoor environment. However, um, uh, lighting I think is the biggest, one of the biggest issues. Like a lot of us live in um caves and uh and something that is partial shade outside uh is like maybe our high light inside um high to medium light inside so i think that you know working with the lack of light uh, you know people always asking um what are lower light plants like what plants will tolerate in um being in a lower light environment um i think is important you know to kind of like go over uh people always have questions about overwatering, and again this goes into containers and containers without holes and um proper having proper drainage and uh and and also just general upkeep of plants and also pests which i think you know eventually after you get a number of plants you are going to have pests and I was blissfully unaware of plant pests for about six years, but I think that there's all of these challenges that are happening now on both the grower's side as well as, you know, indoor people's side. I mean, I met a lot of growers who spray or use biological controls, um, like beneficial insects, for instance, in order to be able to handle and keep pests at a threshold. But, um, Inevitably, some of those pests will come in, possibly on plants already or within the soil substrate, and can proliferate in your home. And you know, those are challenges that people you know deal with on a on a regular basis. I mean, I have a lot of people who write in about fungus gnats or thrips, and uh, and those those things are a little bit more complex to deal with um, in an indoor environment. Not every I release beneficial insects in my home. And it's always an experiment and it's much more expensive. But, you know, doing that in a greenhouse environment seems like much more feasible. 
So I, you know, so I think that there's, uh, those are some of the big challenges I would say that, that people, you know, share with me, um, aside for like the fact of like, what is this plant that I have? <laughs> okay. Now I have to ask you the question that I always get, right? We've had this evolve conversation. Now we're going to this question. Favorite plant? The genus of Peperomia. And, and you mentioned it, did that as sort of an underserved category is that is that one of the reasons that attracted you to it in the beginning i've always loved like little things like a little like you know just looking at like fungus and jelly fungus and insects and small plants um you know just kind of locked away in like little cracks and crevices uh and peperomia just was that for me there was there's just so much diversity of peperomia i mean you could get like really cool taco shaped leaf ones that you would find in like Peru or Chile um, with like thick, you know, thick windows and thick succulent leaves, or you could find like really thin waxy leaf varieties like growing near, um, you know, growing out of uh, like off little sticks in, in Central America or South America. I mean, I just think that they're, they're so cute and diverse and they don't take up a lot of space um, and you'll never be able to collect all of them. <laughs> so I think it's just, it's just a fun little, it's just a fun little group of plants that I love. I mean, and you have to like them for their leaves because their flowers are, are quite unspectacular. You know, they're just these little rat tails that um, if you like, you know, brush, uh, a lot of my peperomia are flowering right now, but when you brush, you know, by them, you'll see all this pollen come off. So they're most likely wind pollinated because they're, they're not they're not attractive. So they're probably not trying to attract any insect either. Um, so you have to really love them for their their leaves and they don't have they're really understated. You know, a lot of people right now are are into aeroids and I love aeroids like the next folks, um, you know, monstras, raphidophoras, philodendrons, that type of stuff. But they're often known for their like big leaves, especially when you start to stake them or you grow them up on a trellis. Um, but peperomia are just like diminutive and underserved and you just have to appreciate them and you show the detail of them. And I, and I, I like that about the, about that group. I've always liked that. If you don't already follow all of Summer Rain's content, you are doing yourself a massive disservice if you're listening to this podcast. Clearly you like plants, people. So go do that. And also at the very end here, Summer, I wanted to just thank you uh, as someone who's been involved professionally in the, the world of plants here for what is approaching like 13 years. I did math the other day. It was sort of interesting <laughs> um, for, for helping tell the story of the plants and the people and everything and just wanted you to commend you on, on the work that you've done throughout this time. Well, thank you. And thank you for, you know, helping share my story and everyone else's story as well through your podcast. So I think the, the feeling is mutual. I walk the cross ties of these old abandoned rails. Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life It's just like staring in your eyes and I 
can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way I never want to leave this state of Everybody's putting down this brand new hammer, but they're just whispers way up here. They got no rhyme. For the reason why it's wrong But there's still this burning in my ears Some folks say I probably shouldn't live this way But the last time I checked This was my for you to deal